Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA Editor for the Washington Post. Coming from my apartment in San Francisco, it is early on Thursday morning after I was at Oracle Arena and watched the Warriors win very comfortably over the Blazers um, in a, a very lopsided game that I did not anticipate with Kevin Durant, uh, Matt Barnes, and Sean Livingston all sitting out. Really impressive performance by Golden State. Another sign that they are just far ahead of the field, especially in this first-round matchup against a Portland team that uh, is without use of Nurkic and had a hobble CJ McCollum and just couldn't keep up in Game 2. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about on this podcast. Uh, earlier today, I recorded a conversation I had with my um, good friend Jay King, who covers the Celtics and does a fantastic job for MassLive.com. And so I, I had Jay on to talk about the, the stunning uh, turn of events in Boston where the Celtics are down two games and none in their best seven series with the, against the Chicago Bulls. Uh, falling behind despite being the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, even if they are a weak number one seed, playing a dysfunctional Bulls team that had been up and down all season long. This was not the outcome anyone expected. Uh, I talked to Jay a lot about that, about the uh, decision not to make a trade at the trade deadline um, of any kind, not just for a star, but even for a role player like a Taj Gibson or a Lou Williams. Uh, also talked to him about um, <clears throat> also talked to him about uh, the some adjustments at the the, the Celtics can make in this series to try to get back in it and make things interesting. Um, I think it's a thought it was a fun conversation. Think think you guys will will enjoy it. Uh, before we get to that though, just want to remind everyone uh, to subscribe to uh, the Monday Morning Post Up, uh, my new NBA newsletter. Uh, thanks to all of you who have so far, got a decent turnout. Uh, it's been appreciated. Um, Going to be doing it daily through the at least the first round, maybe beyond in the playoffs. Try to give you guys uh, some some daily thoughts on the games that I'm watching. Um, so to, to subscribe, uh, go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter. That's wapo.st slash postupnewsletter. Uh, and subscribe. Got a ton of, got, got some links in there. Got a bunch of thoughts on, on each of the games uh, and everything else that's going on. So hopefully uh, you guys will enjoy that. Um, but with that, let me, uh, let me get you now to my conversation with my guy, Jay King. All right, Jay, thanks for coming on. Uh, it's Wednesday afternoon. Uh, podcast is going to go up Thursday morning. So I guess the first question I have for you is, what is the state of uh, the Commonwealth at the moment after what can only be described, I think, uh, fairly as a disastrous first couple games of this, this series with the Bulls? I think everyone's freaking out a little bit. I think <laughs> <laughs> kind of like you, uh, people are hearkening back to the trade deadline and wondering whether the Celtics should have made a move, blaming Danny Ainge for not improving his team's weaknesses, even with a minor trade. And, I mean, it's it's really stunning. Even if you thought the Celtics were a weak number one seed, and I think everyone did, compared to, you know, a, a normal number one seed, they're, they're not as strong. But still, to, to drop the first two games and do it in the fashion that they did, getting outclassed, out-rebounded, abused by Robin Lopez, beaten by all the Bulls role players, allowing Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, and Rajon Rondo to, to do what they want. It, it really has been kind of a shocking first two games. And uh, and everyone in Boston, all the fans are a little on edge, uh, probably especially the one guy who Marcus Smart flipped off. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But, I, yeah, like I, I wrote a column last night after the game. And, uh, you know, people, I think, kind of misconstrued what I was saying. I understand why the Celtics didn't make a trade. Like I think I thought I even wrote, I thought it was justifiable at the time. And I totally understand why, even though I think there was some merit in maybe doing it, 
you wouldn't necessarily make a swing for a guy like Paul George or Jimmy Butler and give up a ton of assets. But like, I know the Bulls didn't get a first round pick for Taj Gibson. And like the Celtics have their first round pick next year. It's probably going to be a pretty low first round pick. They already have the Nets pick. Like, Todd Gibson on the on the Celtics right now, playing 30 minutes a game instead and not playing Amir Johnson at all. Uh, the Celtics are probably, I think, up 2-0 in the series. And like they yeah. have so many assets. They have so many assets that to me, like you could have easily still made a move and gotten a Lou Williams or a Taj Gibson or somebody to address some of these other weaknesses that the Bulls have without or the Celtics have, sorry. Uh, that wouldn't have sacrificed the 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 kind of multiple paths they're trying to go on at the same time and would have given them a better chance of advancing deeper in the playoffs. I'm not even, obviously no one thought they were going to be losing to the Bulls, but I, I do think that everybody knew coming into the playoffs that the Celtics had two significant weaknesses, right? They're a team that relies on Isaiah Thomas to produce a lot of their offense, and they don't really have a plan B in terms of having somebody they can give the ball to and go get a bucket. And they were going to be, rough it was going to be rough for them on the boards because they struggled all year as a as a rebounding team and it's just hard it's hard not to watch these first two games and see them getting beat up inside and struggling to create offense without Isaiah and wonder would they have been better served using at least a small part of those assets to go get some pieces to at least give themselves a better chance of making a deeper run this year when they clearly have an opportunity to do so yeah and I'm I'm not saying I disagree um Obviously, a Ty Gibson, uh, a PJ Tucker, somebody like that would would have been huge in in this series. It would have been huge for, further on in the playoffs if, if the Celtics, by some miracle at this point, managed to make it there. But the front office looks at it like, okay, we're not a contender with Taj Gibson. Even we're not a contender, and I think you know these first two games have shown pretty clearly that they're probably right on that, and that even if you make minor tweaks. That, that this team this year is not going to compete for anything significant. And if, if you believe that you're not going to compete for anything sig- significant, even with a, 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 not, kind of a fringe upgrade, obviously Gibson would be a significant upgrade, but more of a, a fringe fringe guy, then they don't want to waste the assets. They, they have a different focus than a team like Toronto that wants to win now and went out and got Serge Ibaka, went out and got P.J. Tucker. Um, I, I do think that it, it's... Especially from the the fans' perspective, and I'm certain certain from the players' perspective, it's got to be frustrating. Like like here you are with with a a 52 win team and a team that that it, it is a good team, but but with a couple of minor changes with with a physical guy in the front court, with another established, experienced wing to add depth, uh, with with another scorer to to help out Isaiah Thomas, that that this team would have been significantly better and I, I do think you know that's that's probably a source of frustration for some of the players like it's got to be got to be really frustrating to look out and see what Toronto did to improve their team and to see what the Wizards tried to do with their bench and even though the, the Wizards moves those weren't huge moves but at least they tried and at least they added a little bit to, to their team and, and the Celtics you know obviously they stayed pat and obviously they're they're in a lot different place long term than those other two teams but but from the short term, it it almost feels like like they they waste not even almost it it feels like they wasted an opportunity. No, they did to, waste an opportunity. I mean, they did. I mean, look, here's the thing. I I understand. I even wrote in the piece like, it, to me, it's it's they they thought one of two things at the deadline, right? Either a we're just not good enough, or b they were too arrogant about what they had this year. 
my guess is it was probably that they didn't think they were good enough. But it was definitely it no, was I, definitely I, not no, an arrogance. No, and I and have. I think so. Now I was just saying like those are the only two options, right? When you when you don't make a move and Washington does and Toronto does and, and Cleveland knew they were getting buyout guys, like there there's an, it's it's either one or the other, right? And I, I wasn't I, I agree with you. I think it I think it's an acknowledgement of what they had. But again, they have six first round picks the next three years or five first round picks. They have they have their own first round pick next year and the Nets pick totally unprotected. So. Like they have the ammunition to go get a guy like, and again, that's why I'm saying I understood why they didn't push all the chips in to get Paul George or get Jimmy Butler. Like I, I mean, anybody who's read or listened to me all year has been pretty should know that I've been skeptical about Boston's overall talent level. Like I, I'm not, I'm not going to try to pretend that I thought this team was going to be a juggernaut in the playoffs. I what I didn't, but I, I think you, I think you summed it up best. It's that there was an opportunity here with a small upgrade at the deadline to give themselves a chance to make a real run. Right. And yeah. like, there's no secret that Boston wants to be a player for agencies this summer, right? They have max cap space. They want to convince maybe Gordon Hayward to come play for them. Or, you know, I'm sure they'd like to try to get another meeting with Kevin Durant or, you know, different, you know, Blake Griffin, maybe. I mean, there's going to be guys on the market they could go get. Right. And if they now lose to the bulls in the first round and don't have, didn't upgrade their team at all at the deadline. Um, what is that going to look like when you go into free agency? I mean, what are what are guys like Gordon Hayward or or Blake Griffin going to think if they have a meeting with the Celtics and they're like, yeah, look at all these pieces we have. And they go, yeah, but you just lost to the Bulls. Like, you know, look at the Wizards last year, right? Like, I maintained when the Wizards signed, when the Wizards lost out to the Celtics for Al Horford, I said at the time that I thought the Wizards had the more talented team but I understood why Al Horford chose the Celtics because they had a better year the year before, and it seemed like they had greater trajectory going forward. Now, if the if the Celtics lose in the first round this year, they're going to go into free agency in the position the Wizards were last year. I know the Wizards didn't make the playoffs, so it's a little different, but it's still going to be a sour note going into the, going into free agency, going well. How good is this team? Like, are they really a team that's close to contending? If I'm Blake Griffin or Gordon Hayward, I'm going to go sign there and and join up. Whereas if they had made it like let's say they make it to the second round and they still could i mean we shouldn't bury them completely this the series isn't over i'll be the first one to say that too but it, if they don't get out of the first round um they i just think it's gonna it could end up really coming back to haunt them because this is the summer because of the the contracts they have coming up and the decision they have to make on isaiah and all the different stuff they have come down the line this is the summer they really have to strike it rich and for agency and get another impact guy to go with the group they have and i, I just feel like I feel like it's a missed opportunity, not only for this year, but if they do fall short in this series and lose, I really do think it could have a real negative impact on them this summer when they go to try to upgrade this roster and get one of these bigger name free agents to come play for them. If they look around and don't think that the Celtics can be the kind of, uh, the kind of, you know, late May, early June team consistently that I think Boston had visions of being going into the season with all the assets they have. Yeah. And that's certainly possible. You know, when you're a free agent that has to come into account, like, like, okay, this team lost to the Bulls and maybe even got swept by the Bulls or, or whatever the case. Obviously, they're right. not done yet. It, they can still come back. Sure. But but if you if you look at that and then you look at it the last three years, they've been bounced in the first round. Maybe the situation doesn't look as attractive. But on the other hand, like like you go out and get a short-term rental who helps you get out of the first round. If you go into that free agency meeting, you say, okay, this guy was a big piece of getting us out of the first round. Well, he's not signed with us anymore. And if we sign you, we're going to have to – to lose PJ Tucker because we can't afford him anymore. So 
the the other side of that is maybe maybe the the, the pieces that they could have added wouldn't have mattered long term and and they, they definitely didn't want to add any money long-term because they want the chance to go after Gordon Hayward. Right. They want as much cap flexibility as possible. So there, there really was like a fine line. Like, like, like Ibaka, Ibaka would have been nice, but he has future money, and so that was automatic. Well, he's, he's a free agent. Could, so is Gibson. Well, but but, but if, if you get him as a rental, it doesn't really matter. Then you have to re-sign him. And, you know, like, like it's not worth it to give up the type of assets to go get an Ibaka if you're not going to keep them long term, and the Celtics certainly sure. weren't going to keep them long term, sure, because they they wanted that cap space. So, and like, there like was I said, like, I un- I understand that too. To me, it's more just that there were guys that were available for basically a late first round pick that would have really yeah. helped. And you can't tell me that the Celtics, with all of the assets they have and all the young players they have, I mean, they already have a roster that's basically full anyway. I mean, they've got Abdel Nader, who was like what the the D League. I don't know what he did in the D League. He had a monster year in the D League. Rookie of the year, and he he was a second round pick. They couldn't even sign. I mean, they have they have second round picks from last year that they had to cut. They have they have guys like Jimmy Distraction who haven't even like that gone off the bench all season. Um, you know, they've got uh, Yabusele, who was in China this year as an extra first round pick. They have all of these assets all over the place, and like I understand, like I I get that. Yeah, we have stuff down the road, but is there just a complete lack of appreciation for today. I mean, Isaiah Thomas, I talked to Isaiah Thomas a month ago when the Celtics were here and he said, yeah, I thought we were going to make a move. And even if it was a small one, I, I trust the front office, but, and I, you know, they know what they're doing, but I, I thought we were going to do something. Now it's just the kind of way I look at it. You look around the East and like, I just feel like if they'd done something at the deadline, even a small thing, they're not in this position and like, and who knows, maybe they'll come back and win. Maybe they'll, if they lose in the first round, maybe they sign Gordon Hayward anyway, or maybe they get Blake Griffin or whatever. Something happens, and none of this matters. But I just feel like for all of the focus on the future in Boston and all the good things that they obviously have coming down the line, they could have the number one pick in a few weeks. You know, there, there, There's obviously a lot of reasons to be optimistic. I, I do feel like a complete disregard for the present could come back to haunt them down the road. Yeah. And look, we'd be having a completely different conversation if they had played decent basketball in the first two games. Right. And and they were the one seed, and they were beating the Bulls 2 nothing. Yep. And they still have all these pieces. It would be a completely different conversation. Sure. So, so it's, I don't know, it, it really is like, it's it's tough for me to say, yes, they they really, really screwed up. And, and I... Part of me is like, like they definitely should have gotten somebody because, first of all, like for the morale of the team, like, like if you get bounced three years in a row, and especially if you get upset as a top seed, like all of a sudden, people are going to question Brad Stevens. They're going to question the the makeup of the entire roster. There are quite, there will be questions from from everywhere. Should you resign? About, should you pay Isaiah Thomas two hundred million dollars next summer? I mean, that's a, yeah, like, that's so, another question. Like, is he? Is he a guy that you can have be the foundational, uh, the foundational star of your, um, the foundational star of your franchise? I mean, that's a that's a real question that's going to be asked if they lose the series too. Yeah. So <laughs> there there are a lot of questions to be asked, and, and I do think the Celtics could have given themselves a significantly better chance to win a series with a move at the deadline. But then I I also do understand th- their their view of it, which is if if we're not going to win this year and 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 they don't think they are. They they think Cleveland's the best in the East. They think the Warriors, Spurs, Rockets, everybody out West, whoever was, comes out of the West is going to be head and shoulders above whoever comes out of the East. Yep. Then then you know it's it's 
it's tough to try to make a move. And even like you say, like get, getting rid of a first round pick, but like still, that's a first round pick. That, I that's know, a valuable but, but Jay, they have so many things. They have so many guys. Like it, at some point, like they, there's there's become this notion that a first round pick is the holy grail, right? Like, oh my God, you have to have this first round pick. Look, if if Toronto hadn't traded for Serge Ibaka, they would have gotten killed in the first two games of their series. Like, and again, like they gave up Terrence Ross and a first round pick to get to get Ibaka, and they're obviously going to be under more pressure to keep him long term. I'm not even saying Boston should have made that move, but to me, it's like, especially because they're playing Chicago, it's like they've got the Memphis pick in 2019. They've got the Clippers pick in 2019. They've got all their own picks. Uh, they've got the they've got the Nets pick this year. They got the Nets pick next year. I don't need to say it. Take the two Nets picks out, right? Just leave them aside because I can understand not wanting to give up those bites at the apple, especially this year's pick. You got a chance to get Lonzo Ball and Markel Fultz if the ping pong balls bounce right. Hang on to that because if you get that guy, I think those guys both have a chance to be foundational superstars. But think about their roster. They got James Young who was picked what 15th, 16th. You got Terry Rogier, who was picked 15th or 16th. You got Yabuselli, who was picked 16th. Like, you've got all these guys in the middle of the first round that, yeah, they might end up being okay players, but they're not, they're not going to change the direction of the franchise. And the Celtics are going to be good next year, barring calamity. So, like, to me, it's just like you have this pick next year especially. Like, that's the one that, that just hangs on me. It's like that 2018 first-round pick is just sitting there. You've already got the Nets pick guaranteed next year. It's like, why not go get a guy to fortify this year's roster. It just, it, it just, it's because it, I just can't, and look, I don't mean to harp on this anymore. We got to get to the actual series in a minute, but it just, <laughs> it just, it just really, it's hard to watch this. It's hard to watch this series and not just have it beat you over the head when Robin Lopez has turned into Wilt Chamberlain inside. And you know, the Celtics are just clanging threes all over the place. Cause outside of Avery Bradley hitting some shots, they just don't really have anybody who can go get you a bucket besides Isaiah? Now, now that the Bulls are double teaming him, you know it's just it's been tough for him. You know it was tough for him to get going in game two. But it's really just the biggest thing is that they're playing the Bulls, and I know the Bulls didn't have a first round pick off for Taj Gibson. And like I just I just can't help but think if you replaced Amir Johnson, who's been a problem spot for them all year, and replaced him with just a solid average starter like Gibson, or who might even be a little above average. I just feel like their whole the whole tenor of this would be so much different, and it still wouldn't change any of the long term outlook that they have. Well, I, first I, I want to say it's unfair to say Amir Johnson has been this this weak spot for them all season. He had a pretty good second half of the year. Uh, his one biggest weakness, and it's the same weakness as the entire Celtics front court has, is physicality. Right. And as you said, like Robin Lopez has turned into. An I guess I guess what I meant what I meant was I mean. He's, he's yeah. been okay, but he's definitely in their in their starting lineup. I think it's fair to say he's the weak spot. Like you look yeah. at their four spots, and it's like if you could upgrade somebody, it would be to upgrade him and get a a legitimate starter at that position. Yeah, and obviously the they they went to Tyler Zeller to start the second half. Like they right. are already reaching in ways that that number one well, seeds well, never have to do. Right, and let's let's just skip ahead. We've we've talked enough about this. Let's let's talk about adjustments. So. You know, you, you mentioned the Zeller, him being in the starting lineup. You know, we've, 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 ha- we've harped on the lack of scoring and the lack of rebounding. So if you're Brad Stevens, who's, he's tried a lot of stuff. Uh, I mean, I give him credit. He's tried different rotations. He's tried different combinations. He obviously put Zeller in to start the second half of game two. If you're, if you're Brad Stevens, what are the first things you're trying to start game three to try to flip this series around? Well, first, I would just tell everyone to just take a deep breath, regain <laughs> your composure, like that's the second half of game two 
they were just recklessly out of control, just flinging shots as soon as they got the ball. Yes. No ball movement, yes. no patience. That and that that was the biggest thing. Like things are going to go wrong. You need to to just take a deep breath, stay composed. And I, you know, I I didn't buy into it when when people said going into the series that Chicago's playoff experience would really be a factor because you know I thought Dwayne Wade is is over the hill and Rajon Rondo hasn't been Rajon Rondo in years well here come the playoffs and suddenly the the intensity is different the pressure is different and the Celtics folded in game two there's there's no other way to put it yeah. they folded that that was that, that was, was pretty, really a that, miserable. Was a, that was a pretty damning pretty damning line from Bradley about Rondo running around telling everybody on the Bulls that they, that they had quit like admitting, yeah. like, like admitting that was a pretty that was pretty rough to hear, just from a neutral standpoint. Yeah, that, that that's that's harsh. So so that'd be my first thing is just everybody calm down. We're like we're we're a good team. We won fifty two games. The Bulls really aren't as good as we've made them look. Secondly, box out. Like and, and here's the thing. Like <laughs> they don't they don't have that guy. Like like you said that when we were talking about whether they should have gone out and gotten somebody. They just they don't have that guy who's going to be this physical force on the boards they have to all crash the glass right the fact that the fact that you're the fact that you're subbing out amir johnson for tyler zeller kind of sums up kind of sums up the like if tyler zeller is the potential solving of your rebounding woes that's a that's a problem in and of itself exactly and then uh, you know they tried to go small throughout game two because chicago has has really been aggressive with with switching with helping with Sending tons of guys, guys, tons, tons of, tons of help at Isaiah, and then covering the shooters, and and they 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 haven't handled it well. That's that's another thing. Like the shot creation, right. when when Isaiah doesn't have the ball in 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 the playoffs, it's different than it is in the regular season. Like like you need that second shot creator, and, and they haven't had that yet. Um, some of it, is just, honestly, some of it is just we have to do what we, what we're doing better. We have to box out. And and limit second chance opportunities. We have to take care of the damn ball. The, the it was it was all like like just they just fell apart, man. And and it's it's tough to say what the adjustments should be when it's just like, like they 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 didn't give what they were doing a real chance because they just they just crumbled. And and it, it was weird to see because this Celtics team is known for really really playing hard and and sticking together and that was not at all the case in game two and i i do think that i the 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 death of isaiah thomas's sister has had a huge impact on this series and obviously like talking about basketball with that situation basketball is the last thing that matters about that that entire situation like first is isaiah is his family everything about that is, is far more important than the basketball but at the same point like it has been really hard for the Celtics to, to to handle that, I think, and and to to know how to to interact with Isaiah even on the court, off the court, like he's snapping at, at Marcus Smart, it, it, and it it even like like the game one, he was just kind of off in his own world. Nobody was even talking to him. It was like he didn't want to communicate with anybody. And game two, it was a little looser, but but that, I think that still had a had a huge impact on the first two games. Um, so. That that's that's another thing that that's that's been a, a part of this series and and obviously interwoven with everything. But now, no, yeah, there, there's there's a lot they need to do better. Right. I mean, I and I listen. It's hard to say that it's had no impact, right? I mean, obviously, when you have such a terrible, tragic story like that, um, it, it's clearly going to have an impact on people. But 
I still don't I like I think it has an impact, but it's it's like the I don't know how much of one just because you know Isaiah was fantastic in game one, right? Even with everything going on. I mean he was efficient, he scored I think thirty three points. Um I, I get that he was a little disconnected, but he still was really good. Um and even though he struggled in game two, I still feel like the fundamental problems that the Celtics have had are problems that they've kind of had all year, right? Like I know I know Chicago's kind of a weird matchup for them and a tough matchup, but um, you know, like you mentioned, for example, like you, you, you mentioned the second, uh, the lack of a second score, like somebody to create when Isaiah doesn't have the ball or isn't on the court. How does, like, that's been a problem for Boston all year. How, how do you think that they can or should address that moving forward in the series? Cause I, I just don't, I don't know really know what the right answer is for them. Cause I feel like they're kind of just limited in what the potential possibilities are. The spacing needs to be better. The, the ball movement needs to be better. Uh, Chicago has, has done a lot of switching. That they need to be swifter with the ball movement to find guys before they, they're able to to switch properly. Uh, and then they just need to make knockdown shots. Like Avery Bradley front rimmed a ton of shots that that would have been difference makers early in the game. Uh, Isaiah has been really careless with the basketball coming around screens, and I mean he missed six free throws in game two, which never happens. His focus just hasn't been there. Yeah, he that was that was kind of the I mean, that was I think I think your point about him in game 2 is accurate for sure. Like yeah. I thought I don't know if it was cuz he was lock, kind of locked into the moment or whatever, but I thought he was incredible in game 1, especially with everything going on. I mean, he was 33 points on efficient shooting. Like I thought he I think they were plus I want to say they were plus 12 within yeah. game 1. He was great, but he, but obviously, you know, he he missed the six free throws. It was really weird. He missed those two in a row um at the one point. I think it was early in the fourth quarter. Uh, and when you got to line and miss both, um, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, he, he did look a little off and obviously he's going home. He's obviously going home today. Um, you know, so, you know, he's supposed to come back and rejoin the team on Friday, but you know, it, it's obviously a brutal situation, but yeah, I mean, that, that is, that is to me the tough thing. Like they, like the Celtics need, because they don't have that guy, they, it feels like they just kind of need everything else to fall in line perfectly for them to win a series, to win a game with, with their, their team set up the way it is. And when you factor in the Isaiah stuff and everything else, it's just a really tall task for them. Yeah. And you know, if, if they guard the Portises and the Zipsers better, then, then they'll give themselves a better chance. If, if they don't, if they don't let Chicago get like however many points in the paint it was, it was, it was a high number of points in the paint Mm -hmm. yesterday. Uh, Then, then, then you give yourself a better chance. Um. Yeah, and then, then the like like Jay Crowder said, and I, I thought this was maybe the the smartest comment any of the players said after Game Two. He said the Bulls are not a transition team, like like like, and we've made them a transition team. Right. And all season long, the Bulls have looked old. They've they've looked unathletic. They've looked like a team that that lacks cohesiveness. And all, all of a sudden, the Celtics are making them look like this this young athletic team filled with leadership and like all on the same page and it, it really is bizarre to see how the t- two teams have morphed from the Celtics who were like this really together team and the Bulls who are like yeah just kind of trying to figure things out to now two games in the playoffs and everything is flipped on its head yeah let's let's talk about the Rondo thing I mean look you you've been around the Celtics team for a long time you covered us as closely and be- better as well as anybody uh, what has it been like watching Rondo, uh, especially in game two, like looked like it was 2012 again. I mean, that, that was incredible to me to watch that nuts. Like, like this is a guy 
who was literally banished from the Dallas Mavericks in the postseason last time he was in the playoffs. He went to Sacramento, like didn't play winning basketball there. He was benched earlier this season in Chicago for like Jerry and Grant and Michael Carter Williams. Well, had the, which had the is, whole Instagram thing with them. Uh, yeah, you know, they, with, calling out Dwayne Wade and, and Jimmy Butler. The three of them sitting there was just bizarre the other night, last night. Like, yeah. just so weird. It, so it's weird. it's nuts. And then and then he gets into the playoffs again. And, and really, he's had a, a good second half of the season. This is the best basketball he's played since his ACL tear in 2013. 2012? Right? 2000, yeah, early 2013. So it's been a long time season. since he's played this I don't remember when he got hurt, but... Yeah, um, and then yeah, I mean, game season. two, he was he was fantastic. Five steals. He was he was reading in the passing lanes. You could tell that he knew exactly what was coming a lot of the time. Probably the best defense he's played in a long time. He was plus twenty four. He was guarding Isaiah Thomas. Eleven yeah, points. He was a big assists, reason. He was a big reason why Thomas was in, was was playing bad. I mean, I mean, if Rondo locked in, Rondo was a really tough matchup for for Thomas, given he's uh you know seven eight inches bigger than him and really long. I mean, that's a, that's a difficult, that's a difficult matchup. If Ronald's actually locked in on defense, which he really hasn't been for about five years and remarkably, <laughs> remarkably is, a, you know, maybe, maybe not surprisingly, but, uh, but, but, you know, certainly remarkably against this, this former team of his. Nothing about that dude will ever really shock me, but, but this, this resurgence has been certainly unexpected and to, to see him do it and, like it almost obviously, obviously, that people are gonna people are gonna take this one out out of proportion, and I understand. I I am ready to hear the calls about this one. Oh, I'm excited. But it, it I'm al- excited about this where this is going. It almost feels like the series in 2010 when he completely dominated the the Cavaliers and took the Cavaliers and LeBron James like straight out of the series. Like it it wasn't so much that that he beat them on the court. It was like he demoralized them. And and the Bulls are kind of demoralizing the Celtics right now. Like that th- those Celtics in game 2, that was not who they've been all season. That was that was not what they've stood for for the last 3 years. And all of a sudden they're screaming at each other. They're, you know, Marcus Smart's flipping off a fan. It was a complete unraveling. And you know, Rondo screaming at him, you they gave up. They gave up. And and it all it all seems to just have that feel where you know the 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 Bulls are like this aging team kind of like the the Celtics were back then and 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 nobody really expected them to to reach another level in the postseason like they have and and obviously they're not the the 2010 Celtics and the Celtics are not the LeBron James Cavaliers from from even back in the day but but it kind of has that feel where where the he's leading a team that is just kind of punking the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, coming into this series, it reminded me of the 2015 first round series between the Hawks and the Nets, the series I covered when I used to cover the Nets. And, you know, that was a series where the Bulls, like that Nets team, came into the playoffs. Everyone was depressed. They made the playoffs. A lot of people wanted Miami to make the playoffs instead. Just like that year, a lot of people wanted Indiana to make it instead of the Nets. You know, they're kind of this... You know, lackluster, depressing bunch. They they've been fighting with the coach all season, and you know, they, it just was kind of like, why are they still here? And Atlanta was this overachieving one seed. They had kind of this egalitarian. You know, everybody uh, everybody plays their role team, and 
you know, the Nets pushed them to six games and, and very nearly won, you know, all three games in Atlanta. You know, they got blown out in game six at home, but um, first two games were nip and tuck games and they won both games at Brooklyn in game five. You know, Darren Williams had a chance to, I think, win, either win the game or tie the game in the last 30 seconds and missed a wide-open uh, jumper, uh, jumper in the corner, um, kind of summing up his time with the franchise. But uh, to me, the difference between that series and this one is that I thought coming into the series, despite the fact that I had Isaiah Thomas on an All-NBA team and Jimmy Butler not this year, I thought, this, I thought the Bulls had the best player in Jimmy Butler. And a lot of times in these playoff series um, – you know, and this is obviously pre the terrible news that happened to Isaiah on Saturday. Um, but I, I, a lot of times in a playoff series, the best player is going to wind up winning. And I think, you know, having Jimmy Butler kind of be a fulcrum at both ends has really been a huge thing for, for the Celtics and, or for the, for the Bulls. And, you know, I, I wonder, you know, Isaiah obviously struggled in the game two. We know everything that's, that's going on with him personally. But, you know, given the, given the way the Bulls are kind of attacking him and, and trying to, to get him to make other people beat them on the Celtics, which is something not a lot of teams really try to do this season. He kind of went crazy. That's how he, you know, was able to go crazy in all these fourth quarters. Are, are there any changes you think that the Brad Stevens can make to, um, to potentially open things up a little more for him and allow him a little more space to operate and, uh, and, and potentially, you know, start to get back on track again in game three? Yeah, I, I think you saw him start to make some of those changes in game two. Um, you know, he, he played Terry Rozier and he said that that was because he wanted more ball handling, a.k.a. that that second creator type. Um, I I would be surprised if we don't see some some Jonas Jerebko in game three because they need shooting. And the 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 Bulls are, are playing the Celtics a lot like the Hawks did last year. And they're just kind of swarming Isaiah, as you said, making other guys beat them. And you need to have shooting. You need to have skill on the court. And they, they try to go really small in game two, but then it's it's still really tough to rebound. And and obviously rebounding is one of their, their biggest issues. It's been one of their biggest issues all season. In this series, it's certainly been their biggest issue. So staying bigger with skill, I think, is important, whether it's Kelly Olenek, who hasn't played great in this series, or jo- Jonas Derebko, who's barely played in this series. You know, I, I think Stevens is going to have to try so some new things moving forward. Yeah, why? No, I didn't mean to cut you off. Why hasn't Jarebko played? I thought that was kind of odd. I mean, I've always been a that, fan of his, but why is there? Is, is has anybody really said or like kind of dug into why he hasn't gotten any time? That's been a weird thing. Um, kind of as the second half of the season progressed, Jarebko sort of fell out of the rotation a little bit. Not not entirely. Like he still played sometimes, but there were games, including the last Chicago game of the regular season where Steven said, you know, it's, it's just not a good matchup for him and and didn't play him at all. And for, for whatever reason, I, I think Jarebko's kind of, the, the coaching staff has, has lost faith in Jarebko. You know, the last two, two playoff series, he's ended up being a, a really critical piece uh, against Cleveland two years ago and then against Atlanta last year. He was he was really helpful when, when they bounced back from an 0-2 hole to tie the series. But yeah, that, that, that's that's been a weird thing for me. I, I, I think Jarebko's like, like a, a pretty good player. He's not a great player, but he knocks down shots. He hustles like hell. He can switch onto guards. Like there, there are a lot of things he does that can help a team. I, I, I'm, I'm surprised he hasn't played at all to this point. Um, and I, I'd probably be even more surprised if he doesn't take some of Amir Johnson, some of Tyler Zeller's minutes in, in game three, because they, they need shooting. They need more skill. And, and 
I, I think the the switching he gives you definitely helps, especially with all the guards that Chicago has capable of making plays. Yeah, I've always been a fan of his too, and you know he's one of those guys, kind of like Omri Caspi, another one of those guys where like he seemed like he's been on a few teams and he kind of goes in and out of the rotation and he seems like he's a guy who should be useful and you just kind of wonder why he isn't more useful than than you think he should be, you know, and like why teams just don't play him more. Um, You know, usually in that instance, I always kind of default back to, well, there's got to be some reason, right? So... I mean, I obviously trust Brad Stevens and their co- and the coaching staff with the Celtics, which has done a terrific job all year to kind of have a good sense of that. But yeah, I I would think he would I would think he would be a guy who would help them a lot. So um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. So you know, with all this being said, you know, as we as we wrap up here, um, how do you uh, how do you feel about this about this team going into to Game Three and and what is your um, what it, what is your expectation for both? You know how how things will play out. How things will play out in Game Three and in the rest of the series. I'll be surprised. I'll be really surprised if they lay down. Um, but then again, I was I was really surprised by Game Two when they did the same. I, I at this point, I I don't think they'll win the series just because down 0-2 on the road. It, it's it's going to be really really tough. But the Bulls like this. That's the thing about like the Bulls are not a. Great basketball the team. Bulls, they're, they're the Bulls barely... could easily lose the next four games in a row. Yeah, <laughs> like, they really they're, could. They're they are a very mediocre basketball team that has just kicked the crap out of the Celtics through two games. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be stunned if everything switches around. I I, I wouldn't be stunned if it stays the same way and the Celtics go down. Right now, I mean, I, I I have been shocked by not necessarily the fact that the Celtics lost the first two games, but just just the way it went down. And, and right how badly they got pounded and and outplayed in, in both of those two games. So we'll we'll see. I, I am I'm intrigued by by what happens because I didn't think this team was a team that would unravel the way it did in game two. And and I don't think it's a team that will let that continue for the rest of the series, but but I was wrong about game two and maybe I'll be wrong about that too. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like Game Three is going to determine the series. I, I feel like if if the Bulls can somehow win Game Three, also, I think the Celtics probably just roll over and they sweep, um, and they just kind of fall apart. Uh, but I I just feel like this Bulls team is so unreliable that you know even though I I, I do want to say that I don't think the Celtics will win the series, I kind of feel like if they manage to somehow win Game Three and like figure out a combination that works, they will like win the next three after that and win the series in six. like uh, it just kind of feels like even though they are in a hole like just because I I just can't trust the Bulls at all that it it just feels like the Bulls have this plan that's working right and they're just kind of beating the Celtics over the head and kind of like the Celtics don't have a plan B with Isaiah um, I I just don't really know what the Bulls are going to turn to if this doesn't work right so if the Celtics can find some way to counter it I, I feel like they can rattle off a few wins here and still win it um, but I, I just, it is, it is just tough. Cause you look at their team and these are the two weaknesses we've kind of pointed to all season and been like, all right, how are the Celtics going to get over this rebounding problem? If they come up against a big team and how are they going to get over this lack of scoring around Isaiah? If somebody can shut him down a little bit, or at least force other guys to beat that. And, you know, it's going to take, it's going to take some Herculean efforts from, from guys like Avery Bradley and Al Horford and Marcus Smart and, uh, and, and these guys and if Kelly Olenek, um, 
you know, it's they're going to need they're going to need all those guys to really step up for them if uh, if they're going to find a way to dig themselves out of it out of this hole and and avoid what would be a really embarrassing you know first round exit again. It really would be embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be. This was this was not supposed to be like the last two years. Even if they weren't supposed to be a championship team, uh, this was the team that I think everybody thought was going to get out of the first round and you know and and at least set up the funeral series with the with the Wizards most likely in the second round. And you know it is uh, yeah, it is not is the, not the, what the they last expected. two years they had they had all the excuses. They yeah. they weren't ever going to compete with Cleveland, and then they had the Avery Bradley injury. The Kelly Olynyk injury, and, and look, they, they ran into a Hawks team that was Hawks if they were healthy anyway. Yeah, I mean, the Hawks so, were just a more talented team last year, regardless of what the seeds were. Yep, but now, now they got Horford. Now they got they're healthy and down 0-2 to the very mediocre Chicago Bulls. Man, humiliating stuff. Really, it really is incredible. Uh, before before I let you go, uh, give the people some. Uh, Give the people some stuff to plug and, uh, and or plug some stuff for the people and, and tell them where to find you at the various places you're at. Check out the Locked On Celtics podcast, Tremendous. where I give daily podcast Monday through Friday. Uh, check out masslive.com slash Celtics, where all my articles are, and at by J King on Twitter, where I try and fail to be funny or and or informative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jay is a great follow and does an awesome job covering the Celtics besides being my friend so if you don't follow him already give him a follow and definitely uh, listen to Locked on Celtics as he uh, does an awesome job breaking down the, the Celtics on a daily basis and there's plenty to break down right now as they have uh, they have now stumbled into being the most fascinating series of the first round for uh, every possible wrong reason for Celtics fans so uh, you will be in Chicago right? Yep I leave Thursday morning. All right, so so be sure to follow Jay's coverage in uh, in Chicago for uh, for everything that's going on with the Bulls. Thanks thanks again for stopping by, Jay. I know it's busy, so I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. I always I always enjoy talking to my man Tim Bonta. <laughs> All right, thanks to Jay for taking the time out out of his busy schedule to spend some time with me on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, and thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Tim Bonta You can find me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. Uh You can get the podcast on either Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, excuse me, or Stitcher. Uh, please subscribe there. Give us a five-star rating and review. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Go find their music. It's tremendous. Uh, a lot of people really complimented the music on the pod, which makes them happy and makes me happy that you like it. Uh, Glenn's a digital director post and a good friend of mine. So thank you for that. Um, thanks again. Uh, to Jay for for coming on. Going to have another uh, podcast going up Friday with Fred Katz uh, talking about the Thunder. So look forward to that. Um, and again, please subscribe to uh, the Monday Morning Post Up. Again, to do so, go to wapo.st slash postup newsletter. That's wapo.st slash postup newsletter. Uh, but thanks again to Jay. Thanks to all you for listening. Please subscribe to the Monday Morning Post Up. Thank you for listening to Posting Up. And we'll talk to you all again on Friday when I talk to Fred Katz.